welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast, where this year we are sharing 52 financial tips to transform your finances. So if you want to be better at managing your money, you want to pay off debt, you want to buy your first home, or you want to learn about investing and where to invest, how to begin, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe, and I'm so thrilled to have you here. So without further delay, let's get into this week's episode. Hey guys, it's Pete and welcome to week 13, tip number 13 of the 52 week journey. I just wanted to open today's show by just sending out a little bit of a word to everybody that is listening. Because over the last week, there have been huge shifts um, in terms of what we were expecting. Life has changed. Let's just say that life has changed. Working from home, self-isolating to different extents across the country and the knowledge that actually this may go on for 12 weeks I was speaking to a neighbor day before yesterday and we're like well 12 weeks doesn't sound too long but 12 weeks is three months that puts us into the summer so there's a lot of uncertainty right now and I'm certainly seeing people be more anxious a little bit more stressed out because of all this uncertainty um, it's been great news this week that the Chancellor has announced a, a package to pay uh, 80% of people's salaries if you're employed within a business. And that will certainly shore up jobs, shore up business. And that is great news. So it, it relieves some of the stress and the anxiety that some people may have felt. But I just wanted to just say the following. Regardless of your position, if you're self-employed, then you're in a completely different kettle of fish, really, to be honest. Um, you may not find the the package extremely helpful to you right now. If you're on zero contract hours, you're going to be exactly the same. You may not feel that the the package helps you. And yes, that is a cause for concern and stress and anxiety. But I think it's really important that we have to remember what really matters here. And what matters here is first and foremost, our health. Secondly, our family. And thirdly, our lives, our lives that comprise of our family and our health. Yes, money is a tool, money is important, but it's not the end all and be all. And I'm going to say what I said on the show on Thursday, and I hope this sits with you guys, and I hope you take it away and share it with someone if you know someone who needs to hear this, that we are heading into a period of uncertainty. There is no doubt about that. But regardless of how difficult the next few weeks or months may be, it will soon be a point in time in our recent history. So please do take that away and hope hope you find comfort in that. And I hope that that puts a little bit of perspective. Yes, there'll be stresses and pressures, but try to make sure that we prioritize or you prioritize your mental health and your mental well-being because that is really, really key. Mindset really does matter. So today's show it has changed very, very slightly um, because this week I was supposed to have an investment manager on the show. And the goal was to have him basically talk to us and give us an inclination of what he would be looking at right now as an investment manager in terms of the opportunity that is in front of us, how he would be managing client money, and give us a few insights into the investment world right now. Um, unfortunately, on Wednesday when I was due to meet him, he called it off because a colleague of his was ill, showing symptoms of the coronavirus. I know him, um, Chris. I hope he's doing well. If you're listening to this, Chris, I hope you're doing well. And 
he, Terry, decided to basically call it off. And uh, I don't blame him, to be honest, because I wouldn't want to be in a room with him if he were coughing and spluttering or had been exposed. So this week, what we have on the agenda is as follows. So I'm going to talk you through what an investment is comprised of. If you're opening apps like Wealthify, Wombat, Nutmeg, or Plum, Moneybox certainly, then you will be seeing these things and reading this terminology. And I'm going to talk to you about what an investment is comprised of. So I'm going to be using languages like equity, languages like bonds. I'm going to be using language like perhaps property, because that might be something that you're seeing in there as well. And it's not residential property. So I'm going to talk you through what investments are comprised of. Then I'm going to answer the questions that you guys sent in for the investment manager. I have six here all together, but I'm going to answer those questions and then we're going to round up and we'll be done for this episode of the podcast. I just need to open up by saying this though, and I didn't say this on last week's episode, that it's really, really important that you do not take anything on this podcast this week as financial advice. As I always explain to you guys, I don't know your personal circumstances, so I cannot advise you on a particular course of action. What I can do, though, is tell you what I know and impart some knowledge onto you guys so that when you're doing further research, you feel slightly more empowered and more informed when you're reading through paperwork. And hopefully by the time you get to that point via this podcast episode, you'll know what you're reading and you'll know what you're what you're taking in. So that's the whole purpose of today's episode. It's simply to give you information, to give you guidance. It's not to give you any financial advice. So with that now out of the way, let's talk about how investments are comprised. What forms an investment? An investment, if you're, again, if you're going onto places like Wombat, Nutmeg, Wealthify, Moneybox, you'll be seeing things like equities, bonds, cash, perhaps even property. I'm going to talk you through what they basically mean, those terminologies. What do they mean? So equities. Equities are your stock market investments. So look at the FTSE 100, all the companies that I mentioned on the FTSE 100 last week, BP, British Gas, AstraZeneca, Barclays, Barrett Developments, Admiral, EasyJet, I believe was on there. It's investments into those companies. It's your equity pot. Now, that's just the UK market. If you want to look globally, you want to look at America, it will be investments in companies like Apple, Netflix, Alphabet, which is Google, um, Tesla, Uber, Disney, Coca-Cola. There will be investments in those. So your equity portion is where you're investing in companies on the stock market. It could be domestically here in the UK. They could be abroad in America. So that's what your equity basket is. Now, when we look at equity baskets or equities within your investment, equities are typically where you will see your growth. If you look at all of the charts for any of the stock markets across the world, historically, equities have always outperformed any other kind of investment, including property, over the long term. Typical returns are around about 10 12% per year, but certainly 10% per year comfortably, historically. If you look back over the last 25 years, 
That's what the markets have basically done. Now, it's important to note that past performance is no indication to future performance. But again, what we're trying to have a look at here is we are taking the assumption that if what happened for the last 5, 10, 25 years were to happen right now, where the market is at, I think it's at 5.2 today, something like that, or it closed at 5.2 on Friday. Let me just double check. It closed at 5.1, so 5,190. What we are hoping is that if you get invested right now, the markets over the next two, maybe three, four years, however long it takes, will return to the highs that we've seen recently at 7,400. So your equity is where you, equity basket is where you will see most of your growth within your portfolio. Now, if you are looking at companies like Moneybox and all those apps that I've just mentioned before, you will also th see things like bonds, okay? So bonds, I explained this on one of the videos on Instagram. Bonds are effectively where, let's take uh, Tesco's for example. If Tesco's wants to raise money, so he wants to build a new store, say, I don't know, in Leighton Buzzard somewhere, and they didn't want to use the cash reserves that they have in the bank, or perhaps they don't even have enough cash reserves in the bank, what they might do is they might go out to the public and they might say, well, if you lend us £10,000, we will give you a return of 4% per year. And at the end of whatever term it is that you select, it could be four, five, six years, we will give you your £10,000 back and all of the interest as well. That's essentially what a bond is. It's, it's basically a company lending money in exchange for a known return. Your capital, your initial investment, plus a known rate of return. That's essentially what a bond is. Now, it's important to understand why those two things are different. So your equity is where you're going to see most of your growth because it is invested in the stock market and the stock market goes up and down on a consistent basis. The stock market has always performed extremely well over the long term historically. So that's where you hope to see most of your investment returns. Bonds, however, are a known quantity. You know that if you are investing £10,000, you're going to get £10,000 back plus 5% for every single year that you've had the bond out for. There's a known element to that. With equities, there isn't a known element. So you carry more risk with equities because you don't know what your return is going to be. You are just hoping that the markets perform over a period of time and give you a great return. And the reason why bonds are sat within an investment portfolio or a fund is because your bond acts as a counterbalance to your equities. So clearly there's more risk in your equities and your bonds where you have a known outcome over a set period of time outweighs or tries to balance your equity, your overall risk exposure in the investment. And the idea here is that when you're investing with one of these apps, they will try to establish what kind of investor you are. So you might go through a questionnaire, for example, and the questionnaire will try to gauge whether you're a cautious investor, a balanced investor, or a high-risk investor. Depending on which one of those three you are, and there could be some in between, by the way, I've definitely worked uh, for firms that have five different risk ratings as opposed to three. So you might find yourself somewhere in the middle of those three. Regardless of where you are, your equity exposure will be different. 
So for example, if you are a cautious client, so your view is, well, I have £2,000 to invest. And if I lose this money, I'll be really, really worried. It's something that I really want to try and minimize as much as possible. Then your equity exposure in your investment portfolio may only be 20 or 25%, possibly even less. And what you would have in place of a load of equities is a load of bonds. So for example, you might have, let's just say a 20% equity exposure, and you might have a 70% bond holding. So 70% of your money be invested with companies that you're borrowing the money for over a defined period of time, and they're going to give you back your capital and some interest at the end of the term. So you've got more security within that investment portfolio than you would do with your equities because you hold less and you've got less risk. If you are a balanced investor, your equity weighting or your equity portion might be in the region of 40, maybe 50%. So you're kind of middle of the road. And what that basically means is that you've got half of your money in equities in the markets, speculating for growth going forward into the future. And you've got maybe, I wouldn't say half, but maybe about 30 or maybe 40% of it in bonds. So you're, you've got a balanced portfolio there, or that's what they like to call it, a balanced portfolio. So you're balancing your risk quite nicely there. You're not teetering too heavily on either side. And if you're an adventurous investor, what you might find is that actually you have 70% or 60% invested in equities, the stock markets, and 30% invested in bonds. So there's more risk taken with the stock market portion of your investment and less with companies where you know you're going to get defined return over a period of time. So those are three kind of investors. Now, I've mentioned bonds, I've mentioned equities. Another pot that you're going to see when you're using these apps is a pot called cash. And cash is essentially just cash. It is held in cash for you to be able to, number one, they might take their charges from, from the cash pot, but it also means that if you're in a portfolio that has maybe a little bit more of an active management element, they might use it to kind of trade in and trade out on a, on a sporadic basis. It's very, very unlikely that that would actually happen as a, as a first-time investor with a lot of these apps, but typically that's what the pros, the professionals use cash for. It's there for liquidity, it's there to basically trade, take profits here and there, as and when they see fit if you are in that realm of active management. You may not actually get into active management and that is a completely different topic for another side and another time. So just to kind of recap on that, within your investments, if you're looking at any of those apps, you will see a circle, a pie chart, for example, and a portion of it will be invested in equities, which is your stock market investments. They could be UK, they could be America, they could be elsewhere in the world. And you will have a second part, which will be bonds, which is money that you lend to a company for a defined return over a known period of time. The third part that you might see would be cash. Now, there might be a fourth part, and the fourth part might be property. Now, 
property in an investment portfolio is never going to be residential. So it's not going to be your residential buy to let. These will be commercial properties. So if you think of huge shopping malls, Whitgift centers, Lakeside, places like that. You can also have a look at places like the M6 toll. That is a commercial property investment. They will be invested in infrastructure. So things where, for example, if you take a shopping mall, companies are going in, they're taking long leases over a long period of time, and they have pretty high rents depending on the location and size of units that they that they take on. So this is what the property element in an investment portfolio will look like. It will be invested in commercial property. So your shopping malls, office blocks, so on and so forth. So those are the four elements that, you, that you're more likely to see when you invest with any of these investment apps, which I will be reviewing as of next week. So that's a nutshell of how investments are comprised. Now, we're going to get onto the questions very, very shortly. But before I do that, I think we're at a great place right now to talk very, very quickly about investing in funds. So everything that I've just described prior is investing within a fund. And there is a difference between doing that and buying individual shares or direct stock. Almost every single time that I've spoken to you guys, I have been speaking about investing in funds. If I ever spoke about buying individual shares, I would have used the phrase direct stock or individual shares. So there is a difference between the two. So I think last week I mentioned that there is a difference between trading and investing, which is very, very true. We're clear on that right now. But there's also a difference between investing in individual stocks and investing in funds. So when you buy an individual stock, let's take the FTSE 100, for example. So again, you've got Barrett Homes in there. Let's use that as an example. So if you're into property and you thought, well, actually, the property market is doing pretty well at a period of time, you might decide to buy shares in Barrett Homes. Now, when you buy shares in any one company, you have a couple of things that you need to bear in mind. First and foremost, the share price of these companies often can be quite expensive. And number two, you're only buying shares in one business. So again, when I talked about funds and I talked about equities and I talked about bonds, I talked about managing and balancing your risk. When you buy shares in one individual company or one individual share, or direct stock, you effectively put in all of your money in that one stock. So there's one egg, one basket. And the big risk that you face is that if anything were to happen from an economic point of view, from a legislation point of view, from a regulatory point of view, you could potentially be in a position where the share price falls quite sharply and you lose a load of money. And because you've only got your money in one egg, you haven't got anywhere to go. That's one big risk of buying individual shares in companies. What is always great to do, and this is what the professionals always seek to do, is to diversify or spread their risk. So what you might decide is, well, if I've got £2,000, you might decide that you want to go and invest in 10 or 15 companies. And what that basically means is that instead of having 
one egg in one basket, you might have 15 eggs in one basket. Now, again, you have the whole issue of the share prices in companies being quite expensive. So Amazon, for example, is over $1,000 for a share in Amazon. So if you've only got £2,000, then you're only getting one share in Amazon. It's not a lot. And this is where you have an added bonus by investing via a fund. So a fund effectively means that the companies are buying shares at bulk. So when you invest in a fund and you have an equity portion, within your equity portion, there are likely within that equity portion going to be anywhere in the region of between 20 to maybe 50, 60 equity stock in there. It depends on who you invest with and it depends on how they structure the investment in terms of who they pick to put the money with. But the point is you're getting a wider variety of companies to invest in for a relatively small amount of money. Now, if you wanted to go and buy direct stock in or direct shares, individual shares in 15 companies, you would need a lot more than £2,000, depending on the kind of companies that you pick. Now, if you chose, if you want blue chip companies, which are the big boys, the, the highly established companies like, you know, Apple, Netflix, and so on and so forth, that you need a significant sum of money to be able to have 15 stock within your basket. You couldn't do it with £2,000. And that is where investing in a fund is more beneficial because for £2,000, you're going to get holdings in more companies of that size. And you wouldn't be able to access that with such small amounts if you were buying individual shares. So that hope that makes sense. That's just a very, very brief difference between buying individual shares and investing in a fund. Whenever I speak, I always talk about investing in a fund because I believe that it gives you better diversification and it gives you access to more companies than you would normally have under normal circumstances. So that leads us on to the questions that we received last week that were going to go to the investment manager, Terry. So the first question that I had was actually, how do you choose investments? Well, this is all about dividends uh, stocks. So how do you choose investments with dividends by reading charts? Now, if you're buying dividend stocks, Dividend stocks are effectively companies that are well-established that regularly pay out dividends. So if you're buying dividend stocks specifically, you're going to have, number one, the barrier in terms of the entry value. So uh, what's a good dividend stock? Coca-Cola, for example, Disney um, pay good dividends, but their share prices are quite high. So you're going to have that initial barrier to get through. But if you've got the money, you can absolutely do that. Now, what's really important to bear in mind is that you don't just want to necessarily go and be buying dividend stock just because they pay dividends. It's really important that you understand the companies that you're going to be purchasing. That's really, really important. I'm going to give you an example. So, and please, again, don't take this as financial advice. This is something that I've noticed over the last couple of weeks, but it's relevant to Disney. So Disney, for example, Disney have just bought out Disney Plus. And if you follow Marvel, like I do, I am I know all of the, the, the Marvel films. I've seen every single one of them. And Disney Plus is going to give me access to every single one of them so I can binge on them. So Disney, I absolutely love. Now think about the franchises and the, the, the properties 
that come under Disney. So you've got Star Wars, you've got Marvel, you've got all of the Disney films from way, way back, like Lion King. They've got a huge catalogue. What they've recently done is they have obviously merged with Marvel and uh, I can't remember the other one now, um, that has given them access for the Marvel Universe to all of the other characters. And this is one thing that excites me about the Marvel Universe and the fact that they can now have the X-Men and all those kind of people within, within there. Marvel are absolutely killing it, killing it globally with their films the next 10 to 15 years are going to be extremely exciting in terms of the properties that they are going to be putting out with the recent mergers and the acquisitions that disney has made on top of that they've just launched disney plus which gives you access to all of these properties so you could argue that disney right now could be a really really good buy however it's not just about Disney pay out dividends at a high level that you need to consider. You need to understand what's going on with the business. And I've just given you a very, very high level example of the kind of things that go into or should go into the research that you do when you go and buy an individual stock or a dividend stock. And it's very, very important that you understand that. Looking at a chart and seeing who's historically played a load of dividends isn't going to do you any favors because it's all about what is likely to happen in the next five years, in the next 10 years, in the next 15 years. Are they going to be in a position where they can continue to pay the dividends at the level that they've been paying them? Because you will be extremely disappointed as an investor if you went and put, put 10,000 pounds expecting a 4% dividends every single year and the next year you only get 1%, the next year you get 2% and then the third year your dividends completely disappear. So it's really important that you understand what the business does, what their business model is, how they're going to generate revenue. You have to understand dividends is paid from profits, paid from cash. So they have to have cash. If they haven't got cash or they haven't got a way of generating cash revenues in the future or their revenues might take a hit for whatever reason, then that doesn't necessarily make them a great investment. So there are lots of things that you need to consider over and beyond just looking at a chart. A chart is great because you can see what their past performance is. But like I said at the top of this podcast, past performance is no indication of future performance. So please, please do bear that in mind. The second question that we had was, what is the best app for long-term investing? Well, all of the apps will be long-term investment vehicles. In fact, if you're going through any of the screens, they're probably going to be nudging you at that fact. They'll be asking you how long you want to invest for. So whenever you invest, and I've said this before, it is a long-term game. Any of the apps, so Nutmeg, uh, Moneybox, um, Wealthify, any of those apps will be long-term investment apps. They, you, I, I doubt that you'll find one that will be pushing you know, sort of a very, very short-term stock market investment um, for you. The third question that we had, the best way to invest in a FTSE 100 fund is an ETF or individual stocks. I think I've kind of spoken a little bit about that in terms of individual stocks. Now, if you want to invest in the FTSE 100 specifically, well, some of the ways that you can 
invest in the FTSE 100 will be to look at something like a tracker fund. So Hargreaves Landdown have maybe, I think it's like four or five they have available right now. Um, so you can invest in a tracker fund that will track the FTSE. You may not get the FTSE 100 specifically, you might get the FTSE All Share, which is all of the companies in the FTSE, um, but you can invest via a tracker fund. You can use um, ETS, which are exchange traded funds. And effectively, they're a collection of stocks within uh, an index, and they basically track it. Although with an ETF, it's traded on a daily basis. With a fund, it trades at the end of the trading day. ETFs are traded during the day. So you get a little bit more transparency around the cost of the individual stocks and a little bit more liquidity. Um, but you can use funds. You can use ETFs. Um, if you're going to use a fund, you can use a tracker. That is one option for you. Um, and like I said, I know that Hargreaves Landown have got four, maybe five at this point in time. You can invest in individual stocks like I explained before. However, you need to take note of everything that I explained in terms of very, very high level um, barrier of entry. And you're not really going to get that much diversification unless you have a big pot of money. And if you do have a huge sum of money, I would strongly, strongly recommend that you go and see a financial advisor to help guide you in the right direction. The next question we had, where to start? Now, where to start? That's quite a broad question, to be honest. Where to start? Investment apps will help you. Um, I'm going to be reviewing those over the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned for that. What is a good fee for an investment app or firm? Um, if you're a first-time investor with very little to invest, it's really important that you keep an eye on the fees. However, the fees should not be the end-all and be-all. You do want to get a low-cost option if you can. However, one of the things that personally I look for is, for example, you might have Hargreaves Lansdowne, and let me take free trade as two clear distinctions. Free trade, it's free. Hargreaves Lansdowne will charge you a fee. You may think that free trade will offer you better value, and they may do. I don't know. I haven't looked at them just yet. I've, I've seen a little bit about them, but I don't know anything uh, too concrete about them until I do the research. But my initial impression of free trade is they are providing you a free service. And when you look into the business, they're not as established as Hargreaves Lansdowne. And I mentioned this last week or maybe on the Q&A the week before, that one thing you have to bear in mind is that you are investing your hard-earned money. You're going to be investing your hard-earned money. Therefore, it would be my priority to make sure that whoever I'm giving my money to Number one has the skill, the experience, and the team to take my money and invest it for a good return. I'd rather have that than, in, than use a free app who I don't know whether they have the team, the experience, or the know-how to deliver me good returns because, well, they're providing it for free. How are they making their money? So... Fees are important. Don't get me wrong. What is a good fee? That's very, very hard to say because each option will charge at different rates at different times. One thing that I certainly prioritize over and above the fees is who is best positioned to take care of my money to do a good job for me. There's always a saying that cost is only an issue in the absence of value. You have to think about what they're going to bring to the table. What experience have they got? Look at some of their past performance. And again, Past performance isn't an indication of future performance, but if you're looking at a chart 
of a fund with an investment house or an investment app. And the last three to five years have been really, really poor when everybody else has performed quite well, then that might be an indication of maybe they're not really that great at what they're doing. And that may dissuade you over and above the fact that they might be less than everybody else. So this really just bring back the phrase that I often use, you get what you pay for. So it's really, really important that you bear that in mind when you're looking at fees. Yes, try and look for a low cost app, but I would hope that you guys are doing more um, research and more due diligence on who you're placing your money with. You want to make sure that they're going into someone who's capable, who knows how, who has experience in doing this and not just looking for a cheap deal. The last question I have on here, minimum investing in single stocks. So again, we're talking about individual stocks here. It will completely depend. It will depend on what stock you're targeting. So again, if you're looking at any of the big kind of like blue chip firms, your Disney's, your Tesla's, your Coca-Cola, your Amazon's, your Netflix, then you're going to need in the hundreds for one share. So if you're buying uh, lesser known companies, then you could buy them for a lot less. However, you do have the risk that they are lesser known companies. They're probably not as established as the big boys and therefore you carry more risk because you don't know what they're about. But again, if you are buying single shares, individual shares, it's really important that you know what the company does. Warren Buffett, the greatest investor of our time, said, never invest in a business or buy a business you do not understand. You have to understand what they're doing or have an un at least an inkling of what the company is about. How do they make their money? What do they, do they produce? How big is their market? What are their revenues? What are their profits? What are their losses? What's their balance sheet? Do they have cash in the bank? What are their cash reserves? How highly leveraged are they? So in other words, how much debt do they have? These are all really, really important research pieces that you need to bear in mind. Now, frankly, a lot of people don't have the time to do that research. And when you start looking at company business accounts, they can be massive, massive documents. And they're talking about EBITDA and all this kind of stuff. If you don't understand the terminology, then you shouldn't be looking at this sort of stuff to start off with. You should be looking at a fund because companies like Wealthify, Wombat, Plum, Moneybox would have done all of this research for you when they decided or decide to put money in particular companies. So the whole idea, and again, this speaks to fees, that they are charging you these fees because they would have done their due diligence. They would have done their homework, stuff that you don't have time to do, stuff that you may not necessarily understand. These guys will have done that. And this is part of the expertise that you're paying for. If you're literally just going to Google a company and try and go through their company accounts, you have no experience of reading company accounts, then buying single stocks or individual stocks is not for you. You need to understand the risks that you're going to be taking on buying individual stocks. It's all about managing your risk. So please, guys, do bear that in mind. And again, this is not financial advice. This is guidance. This is information so that you're informed of what to look out for, what to research. This is all very, very important stuff. I know that you guys will take it on board and you will go away and you will do the stuff that you need. And again, if you do need me or you have any questions at all, you know where to find me. I'm on Instagram. Drop me a message there. I really do appreciate your time. 
for listening. You guys have been great with the engagement so far. If you do know anybody who would benefit from this podcast today, please do share and please give us a like and follow. Give us a good rating. That would mean the world to me. Thank you for listening. I will catch you later. Another great episode down, but our journey together doesn't have to end here. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're listening on right now. And please don't forget to give us a good rating. That would mean the world to me. If you feel connected to the podcast and you found value in the episode that you've listened to today, join our free community where you will find free resources and more in-depth content on all things finance and money. And you will also find a community where you'll be supported by people who are on a similar journey to you. Links to our free community can be found on our website, conversationofmoney.com or on our Instagram at conversationofmoney. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Again, it means the world to me. I'm your host, Peter. Until next week, take care.